Hi. Hi. Congrats. You did it. You did it. You pressed play on a podcast called I Swear on My Mother's Grave. Out of all the shows you could possibly listen to and topics to explore, you chose this one. So thanks for being here. Uh, You might be a regular listener coming back for season two, or you might be listening for the first time, or a friend told you about the show and said, hey, you should check this show out. You might like it. And so you press play, even though you were wondering, like, I don't know. Am I up for this emotional journey today? Will this be too heavy? I mean, I have an 11 a.m. dentist appointment. Is this going to be too much emotional labor before I get my teeth cleaned? And I get it. You're not alone in your hesitation or your fear around listening to people talk about the loss of their complicated moms. But this show isn't just about our moms. It's about you, the living, the, the person who's listening, the child, the mother, the daughter, the son, the friend, the aunt, the person left. It's for you. I started this podcast in the early days of the pandemic because Well, the truth is I never really got into bread making and I knew I wanted to start talking more openly about my anger and shame around my relationship with my mother. And I also wanted to feel less alone in those feelings in a time of deep isolation. But what I really, really wanted was to learn how to forgive her and ultimately forgive myself. And I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's a journey. But I do know that I have way more love for her than I did two years ago And I think if she was here today, my mom would say that she has even more love for me too. So we are back, season two, baby, back with more bold, funny, vulnerable conversations about the loss of our complicated mothers and not just in death. Okay, that's my tagline. I'm working on it. So there you go. When I decided to start working on season two, I was vaccinated, right? And the world was opening up more. And I decided I wanted to try to do more interviews in person. I wanted to hug people and process and laugh and talk in real physical space. I I also wanted to sit on my 95-year-old Nana's vintage upholstered pink chair while I was doing it. So I found a little space in Evanston, Illinois, outside Chicago. I got some gear and a desk off Facebook Marketplace, and I started inviting people in. And the first person I sat across from this past April was Lauren Montgomery. She's an actor and a friend of mine in Chicago and a theater professor at Truman College. She's sassy, wise, red-haired, honest, and talks fast. She talks about as fast as I did because we were so excited to be together in person again for this conversation. And as a new mother, I think Lauren was just happy to be out of the house. In this episode, we talk about my upcoming wedding on the patio of my Nana's nursing home, which happened just this past June. Yay, I did it. And how to manage a big life moment like that without your mother by your side. How romantic relationships are modeled to us by our folks. And what do you do when your own mother asks you to be her maid of honor? Thanks for press and play. I'm so glad you're here. This is Lauren Montgomery. Hi. Hi. Yay, we're doing it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's exciting. So you know, you know that I am about to get married. Yes. And June. And we've talked because we're friends. We've talked off the mic and stuff about my fear of marriage and like whether or not I want to do it and 
you know, was my parents' divorce after 37 years a reason why I believe that love never lasts and, you know, I'm scared of committing. But I've obviously come around and I've had therapy and I, <laughs> she's silent laughing. She's, she's a silent laugher, Lauren. Yeah. But so we've come around and I've, we've done pros and cons and all the things about why I want to get married and, and why Jonathan is the right person for me because he is. But I'm still, I'm still anxious to make such a big commitment. I mean, buying a house is a commitment, but also getting married is a commitment. Because it feels yeah. like forever. So if I treat it like if I just keep choosing him one day at a time and I don't treat it like this is forever and I, we take that language out, we take, which we might in our vows take. Oh, we did. We took yeah, that out. I'm taking that out. Yeah. You know? But if it's like I'm choosing him every day, it feels more manageable and that it's a commitment to him every day. Right? Yes. That's a positive way to look at it. can be a celebration of what you already have instead of. And you've been together for a decade. Yes. And he makes me dinner every night. Like, what, 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 who am I kidding? You know? Right. And, but I understand your apprehension. I, I come from a mother who was married three times. Mm-hmm. It was not, you know, and that yep. is the lot. That is the. To a lot of, to not a lot of, uh, yeah. How much time are we going to talk about these? These uh, not winners. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so hard. Like, it's just complicated, but it definitely skewed my feelings about marriage. And my stepdad is a good man who's struggled with some mental health issues. So that was the challenge there. But certainly my biological father and certainly my mom's last husband are not good people or have made really poor decisions that have affected my life. And, that and is, your mom's. Yes, and my mom's. And unfortunately, like that's the lasting, the negative part of the legacy is that I still have to deal with all three of these people in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And and it's a real challenge. Also, it it made me apprehensive about marriage as well. I mean, I definitely, what is the national average? You get married at 23 or something. I know that's absurd, but it is. I left my wallet in a cab like every day in my 20s. <laughs> in my 20s. I mean, I was the hot, hot, hottest mess, so I can't imagine. And I was 36 when I got married, and that seemed right. Okay, okay. That seemed right, if not young. And my mom died at 36. I'm just trying to think, like, I was 36, lost my mom, but oh, now I'm yeah. getting married mm-hmm. early 40s. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that seems right. And your apprehens- apprehension is nothing but healthy. Like, I think if you go into it, okay. I knew I, w- I was nervous about marriage. I wasn't nervous about the person, which is what I'm hearing from you. Yes, right? I'm pointing at her. I'm pointing. Yes, that's it. Ding, ding, ding. So during therapy, we did an exercise where we had to look at our parents' marriage or, or our maternal figures in our life, how love was modeled to us at a young age, you know, and what we saw and what we, what we aspired to. And, and of course, I saw a lot of love and I saw this commitment and they, were, they seemed to be best friends. And, they, you know, my mom helped my dad in his career while she had her own career and she was this perfect mom, but that's also her own disease of perfection and trying to be this perfect person. Yeah. And you can't be perfect all the time. And then they outgrew each other and there were other issues and, you know, depression. And so you go, oh, well, they seemed so good at the front. So that Jonathan and I seem great. So who knows in 20 years if it all falls apart? Like, but again, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't, the world is burning. Like, so I guess I keep thinking I can control it. I can control this relationship. Or if I can see the future, I'll know it's the right, right thing to do. But wouldn't you consider your parents' marriage a success ultimately? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. And they were great to me. They were good parents. Yeah, good to parents. Me. And that it ultimately didn't work out. But like, and I my think, dad found love again with a yeah. new person. And that, and I'm so happy for him. And my mom didn't. And she, but did that, does that feel like when you look at it, does it scare you because it feels like their divorce contributed to your mom's 
Yes. Yeah, that's hard. For sure. Decline. For she never got over it. Yeah. But she wouldn't have, she was already in a place where she wasn't getting over really anything. You know, she was reliving the past, even when they were together and blaming him for things. And there was a lot, you know, there was a lot going on. And I really want to interview my dad, but, mm -hmm. you know. And he, well, that's not a big yet. one. Not yet. He knows. <laughs> he knows. He knows he's on the list. Yeah. He's on the short list. But how, so looking at your mom's legacy of choices that she made, which, you know, were complicated, how did that affect you choosing? Blake, your current husband. Yeah, I mean. And wanting to be married. Yeah. Yeah, I think as, you know, a cancer uh, born in June, there is something about wanting. Jonathan's a cancer. <laughs> wanting that home, right? Yeah. There's something that feels safe about building a home and creating a family. And I think with Blake, it was timing. If I'd met him 10 years earlier, he would have been like, no way. Not because of me necessarily. but Where he was at wanting the things that I wanted because he was so deep in his career and pursuing everything and being so ambitious. And I think he that wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been syncing up. But I think both of us had spent a few years single and, you know, not just alone, but starting to feel lonely, you know, truly lonely. And when we met each other, it was a blind date set up my friend, mm -hmm. Chelsea. And it really was just, I mean, to use the improv terms, it was a real yes and situation, which I had not had Maybe ever, right? I dated all kinds of wrong. <laughs> like if you ask my friend Christy, she'll say every shade of wrong. Give me a shade. Give me a shade. Well, I mean, you know one of them, but it was about like, let's find somebody who is emotionally unavailable, but who's magnetic and charismatic. And let's see if you can get them to love you. And yep. if you can, you're totally worthy. Can I change them? Can right. I get them to be into me? <laughs> and I, when I was in my 20s, I had a long-term relationship with someone in their 50s. And you know, most of the time, those are not really unhealthy situations. But because I didn't have, you know, strong father figures or felt a little disconnected, you know, in my early, early years, I think I was always going to strive for, and I was going to look for that relationship. And I just feel so blessed that I found that relationship and that it was healthy. Mm -hmm. So we were together for five years and I learned a lot. I learned how to love from this person and he could have taken advantage of me and he didn't. And by the end, he said, look, we've got to break up because you've got to have more experiences. You've got to blossom. Like this isn't right for you. And it was a really eye-opening and wonderful relationship. I need to be loved like that by somebody who was older, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was going to seek that out. And I'm just grateful I found someone who didn't abuse that power dynamic and who genuinely loved me. Did your mom know him? Yes, uh, she did. She didn't know about the relationship. It was pretty, pretty under wraps the whole time. I did tell her about it later. And she was, you know, I don't know, she was feigning, you know, shock and awe about it. But, you know, it was it was healthy for me and I have no regrets about it. But, yeah, I think for me that was a really beautiful experience. And I think those are rare in that situation. And I wouldn't, like, recommend people get into that <laughs> situation. But for me, it was really good. He wrote me a letter probably six months ago even or an email just saying, like, hey, I'm so glad you're happy and married and have this wonderful baby. And mm. I never stopped loving you but knew that you needed to have your life and you couldn't blossom in the this way because I wouldn't be able to give you the things that you wanted. Wow. It was really absolutely beautiful. But even when I said right now, I said, did your mom know about this guy? Did she know about this situation? Then I, part of me was like, well, she made such complicated choices sometimes in her life. Like, do we even want, were there times you didn't want your mom's advice because you were like, how could I trust you if 
you were picking some. Well, that's right. I think I don't know if she made the connection that mm. the the reason I had that relationship was because of her choices. And it was kind of the first thing that I had that was just mine. I didn't want to tell her about it while it was happening. Mm. It was none of her business. I felt like this is my own. This was my first time individuating, becoming my own person. I think it was like me separating from her because she and I were incredibly close until I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that teenage angst, crunchy time and, until later. Same. Yeah. Same. Oh, interesting. Yeah, same. Same. Yeah, I think in her choices, my biological father, the, you know, they separated when I was two months old. My mom kind of ran away. It sounds like he was pretty verbally abusive. And after she died, I found some letters that I thought were uh, threatening and unkind. And he's just tried to, maybe not he, he's not doing it, but his current wife is trying to get in touch with me. And I'm not quite sure why. And I need to do some more digging as to like what's behind that. You through know? like Facebook? Through She's, letters? Or? She found my address somewhere and has sent me articles about my biological father and books. And he's still alive, it seems like. So I'm not sure what's going on. Huh. That's weird. And then, you know, my uh, my mom's last husband was... That was a whole tricky thing. You know, Blake and I were together, and but we were just living together. And in November of 2015, my mom was diagnosed with a bladder cancer. And uh, she was married to a man. They'd only been married, I want to say, two years at that point. I remember going to their wedding. I was, mm. you know, I was 33. Hmm. I really needed highlights in my hair, but I couldn't <laughs> afford them. <laughs> I had to be like the maid of honor in my mom's wedding for the second time. You were the maid of honor oh, in your yeah. mom's wedding? Oh, yeah. Twice. When I was seven and then once when I was 30. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like a record stop. <laughs> Wait, hold hold on. What? For real? Yeah. She chose her only child. She uh-huh. said, you're my maid of honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you? You didn't do a toast at seven. You didn't plan a correct bachelorette Which they party. Didn't want, she didn't want that at seven because it was her second wedding and it was right. Very, and they were, you know, they met at church and stuff. It wasn't particularly like we didn't do all those things. I can't even remember. I don't think I ever knew if she went out with girlfriends at that to celebrate or any of that stuff. I don't even think she had that the first time. But the third time, you know. It's for the second when you did it correct. for the second time. Yeah. Yes. You know, I was like. Yeah, I felt like I was 10 pounds overweight. I needed highlights. I couldn't I couldn't get a date. I mean, I had dates on OkCupid, but they were terrible and in Wrigleyville and <laughs> nobody ever asked me for a second date. And it, w- it was a nightmare. And I was just feeling like pretty low. And yet here I am going to honor, celebrate, plan festivities for my mom's third wedding. I, I was oh in a rough Oh my spot. gosh. I had to really pull myself up. Could you have said no? Was there a part of you that's like, no, I have to do this? She's asked me. I don't think I ever thought there was a a way to say no. No, I was. And I also didn't didn't know how I felt about him, you know. And also, my mom was scared to tell me they were getting married, so she made him do it. And he was saying, I'm calling not to ask for your permission. I'm calling to ask for your blessing instead. Tell me about that call. What did that call feel like? Tell me about it. It was so weird. He said something like, over the phone, oh, not yes, in person. Oh, yes, because I'm in Chicago and they're in California. So it was, you know, I'm, I'm telling you I'm going to propose to your mom and I'm not calling to ask for your permission, but I am calling to ask for your blessing. And I was like, okay, well, I have some caveats here. You know, she's going to retire in a few years. How old was your mom? Oh, she was 
63. Okay. When they got married, something like that. Yeah, 63. But right. I said, she's going to retire in a few years. And I just, she's really into traveling. And I just, please, can you help support that and make that happen? And I would love for her to, I, I need to see her at least twice a year. So I don't know if that means, you know, can we make a trip out here? And can, or can she, at least by herself, make a trip out here and, and I'll come to you? And he said, okay. And then I said, you know, also, I, I recognize that you're a former police officer, but I would really appreciate it as her daughter if you would not have a gun in the home. Mm. Right? Like, that really concerns me and, mm. you know, whatever. And so he promised. He said yes. To both of those things, which he. Never did. Correct. Neither of those things. And then I told, it, it was an interesting moment because she and I actually had one of our most thoughtful and like honest, discuss, difficult discussions after that. Because I told her, I was like, look, I didn't feel comfortable that, that you put me in that position, that you had him call me instead of telling me yourself. Mm. She knew he was going to propose. And it was it was thoughtful. She apologized. And that really helped us move forward. And then, you know, I thought, oh, I really am going to have to give a toast. What the am I going to say? And I was at a... At a play, I was at Theo Ubiquwe watching some Andrew Lloyd Webber show, and this song "Love Love Changes Everything," and it's this huge ballad, and it's uh, so cheesy. But I remember thinking, "Okay, this is it. She's in love, and it changes your whole thinking. And if you see it, and you didn't think you were going to get it again because she'd been divorced for ten years, and she'd had this wonderful life she'd curated for herself, mm -hmm. and she really thought she'd be single for the rest of her life, and she was actually okay because she with, was traveling with yes, friends, her best friend. They were going to Ireland. Yep, they were going to yep. Portugal. They were like doing all these fun things, and she loved her job. You know, he's high school librarian. She like she she was like paying all the kids high school entrance, I mean, uh, college uh, application fees. And she was like taking them all up to visit schools. And she was just in it, in her element. It was like the best job. And she was very happy. And he came along and I thought, okay, she did not, this was out of left field. She wasn't searching for it and it happened to her. And I have to respect that. So I quoted the song, like, it changes everything. It makes the, you know, it makes the sky blue. It make it just, it just colors your whole world in a way. And it came to her, right? So I, I was able to, you know, make that toast in that way to just to say, hey, I was nervous about this, but I see what's happened, you know, and I want to respect this love, right? So I was able to make a, I was able to behave and to support and to give the toast I needed to give. How did she react to that? I think she really appreciated yeah. it, that I was able to sort of get on board with this. Even though... It was hard for me. I can't believe I did not know this. So, And not to like record stop it again, but then the, sad, <laughs> the sadness of that though, right? It, it did change everything and you were trying to see the positive. Correct. But the love, this new relationship yeah. did change everything. I oh, mean, yes. It, yeah, unfortunately, it really did. And the sky it, turned blue, but then it turned really dark. It Purple really again, really yeah, or like it just was not. I would say what I've come to realize in therapy is that there was absolutely abuse going on. Not until my mom got sick, though, I would say is the truth. I think the the one thing he was not comfortable with is her spending time alone with her friends, which is a real red flag. So well, I would that's say abuse that, of its own. That's yes, like that was always the case. Abuse. But once she was sick and once she was terminal in particular, he had a really hard time letting her be alone. So anyway, so. Like 2015, she's diagnosed with bladder cancer. I got engaged about eight months later and she was undergoing surgery. And we thought, okay, this is, you know, we set a wedding date a year later. And so we were actually trying to give her enough time to feel more herself by the time we got married. But it didn't quite work out that way. 
But she was still, like, positive. We were getting married in May. January of 2017, she didn't make it to my bridal shower here, which she was supposed to come. And she Where was she living again? She's California. California. So Northern California, and then we're, you know, here in Chicago. And she called me after that weekend and said that doctor said she was terminal, which is why she didn't make it out, because she was experiencing, you know, all kinds of symptoms and pain. And And you're how many months out, weeks out? Four we four months out. Although they were very optimistic about her making it to the wedding, so we we went. Okay, this is what we're dealing with. We know we're going to lose her, but this could be a great last hurrah. You know. Yeah. She had come out in that October and bought my wedding dress. I probably would have picked anything if she, you know, she'd picked it out. Right. Yeah. And shout out to Davis Bridal because that's great for not a, not expensive. Do you remember that trip with her? Yes, it was hard because she was in a lot of pain, and. Ran out of pain meds, and there was, you know, and we called uh, my friend Jackie, who's my mom's age, and she'd helped us figure it out and was with us when we got the dress. So there was like, I think she really needed another support person her age to understand exactly what she was going through. And it's hard because she was in a lot of pain. And so there were moments where she was mean, you know? Yeah. And I think she was really clinging to her faith at this point, right? She was, you know, I grew up in a pretty Christian household, but like California Christian. So I guess that means. You know, we went to church every Sunday. My mom wasn't like evangelical in the way that she's always trying to convert people. I actually really respected her kind of quiet Christianity. She was generous. She was, yeah, she was into prayer. She was into, you know, forgiveness, like all the tenets that I think are really positive in religion most of my life. But as she got older, she got more conservative about it, especially because of her husband. Like it it got a little bit like too too tight, I guess, clinging. So, you know, when we chose music for our wedding, she didn't like it because there was no, there were no hymns. There was nothing in there that was going to be religious because I was marrying an atheist, right? Mm -hmm. This is what's happening. So I think she had a hard time supporting some of the aspects of the wedding. But anyway, the, the main thing is that she was getting sicker and sicker and towards the wedding and her friends called and said, you know, one of her friends said, I really don't think she's up for traveling. And I, I, I thought, okay, you know, in so many ways, it's too late for us to push it or change it. Right, go to California. Right, but I was like, you know, what we could do is we could, yeah, we actually could go the month before, which we did end up going, but she wouldn't She wouldn't hear of us holding a, a mini ceremony. She wouldn't. And she, because she just, she needed to have that goal, I guess. And I thought, okay, well, the second option, she stays home. We, you know, we didn't really deal with Zoom yet, but we were like, we'll FaceTime the whole thing. And she can be with her girlfriends. We'll all be around her, glass of champagne, and she can see it. That was sort of the, that would have been what would, yeah. would have been my choice. Yes, yes. But instead, her husband insisted on bringing her out as if it was like the last thing he promised her. And that sounds really noble, but it wasn't in her best interest. And she, I, I believe she suffered because of it. So he brought her out here to Illinois. She came a week before the wedding. She lasted three days and then ended up in a hospice care facility, which was incredible out in Glenview. But for me, it was just a, she wasn't at your actual no. ceremony. Does it feel now you're coming to acceptance of it? I think, you know, the unfairness of the world is like, couldn't she have stayed healthy for one more month, right? It, which was her anger about it as well, because there were moments where we could talk about it, sort of slipping away. I remember my last real conversation with her was in the hotel room. Her husband had gone to get a rental car or something, and we're in Evanston. It was sort of, we're laying on the bed, and it's like our last real, if I'd known. Gosh, if I had known. I think that's the thing people don't realize with cancer is that your person is gone long before they're gone. 
So there are only glimpses here and there, right? And so we had some precious time together, but that was that was truly the last, you know, uh, of course I... What'd you talk about? Oh, I'm like trying to remember. I, I, I kind of don't even remember. What I'm grateful for is that I think it was mundane things. Yeah. Which I was so happy about. Maybe the wedding details or something. I, I don't even remember. You know, I have conflicting feelings about it. I feel so bad. I wish I had done more. Like, I feel guilty that that's the way it ended up. But I... She's telling you, no, you can't do a ceremony. I won't have it. Right? I won't have it. What are you going to do? I mean, I guess... I wasn't allowed to be in charge of her care. And it's a double-edged sword. So I understand that, like, neither side is great. But dealing with someone else who knew her for five years, not 36 years, Mm -hmm. and to sort of not have the respect or collaboration I felt like I deserved was really hard for me. Yeah. And so she was in this hospice facility and was unwell and not able to come to the wedding. And I understand. She watched it? She watched it on FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how much she took in at that point. Right. Right. i you know, the the big decision was not to visit her that day. And my best friend, Christy, decided it for me. And I still believe that was the right decision. To not see her. Yeah, because the day before, I went in the morning and she was agitated. And we waited until she was calm before we left. And we had this big meeting with the doctors about her not being able to come the next day. I think Christy was right. If I had gone that day, I would not have been focused on my wedding because apparently the, I don't, I'm kind of blacked out, but apparently our rehearsal day, I was, I mean, I guess other people would say difficult. I think I was just, my memory of it is that Blake was trying to direct the rehearsal and I thought he was being rude to our guests, you know? That's probably not what was happening. But in my mind, I was like, you know, but I was quite shell-shocked from that uh, early visit at the hospice. So I think Christy just saw that and went, oh, you'll miss your wedding. You will not be present. I mean, I literally, I have no, I am having a hard time figuring out how you compartmentalized it it all. I have no idea. But one thing I wish we had done is maybe crept back over to the hospice on our way home after the wedding, even if it was three in the morning. She never saw you in the dress in person. so I feel really bad. She did when we bought it, and she bought it for me and all that. But at the same time, I had to remind myself, like, what am I, I've got to focus on the future too. Also, I felt bad, like my wonderful loving husband had been so, you know, involved and wrapped up and this is his wedding too. Yes, exactly. It's happening to him as well. Yeah, like, so one, one, one sort of kindness I could do was make myself as present as possible for that day. Let that day just be about us, you know? I mean, you hear a story like that. There's this weird push-pull Totally. Of like, well, I don't have to compartmentalize what you went through, which is so hard, so hard. But mine's not even there. My mom is not even, she's not in a hotel room. She's not over Zoom. She's not, but she's not there. So how do you honor her? Not over Zoom, not like her spirit is, but like her spirit. Do I honor her like memory, you know, and talk about do we light a candle for her? But then I also believe, just like what you said, I don't think my wedding, because my dad's going to be there, Jonathan's mom, his brother, it isn't my mom's wedding. Yeah, and your grandma's going to be my there grandma, too. My grandma, my 95-year-old grandma. Yeah, I'm getting married on the patio of my grandma's nursing home. But yeah, it's not about, like, I want to honor my mom and we're going to, the photographer is going to take pictures of me holding her, you know, framed photo and shit. But it's about me. 
It's about Jonathan. It's about and you I and have Jonathan. to remember that, right? And you also like, have to remember. Like, you, so you tried to do that. You're like, this is about my love of Blake. Like, it felt mean in some ways. It felt a little cruel, but at the same time, I was like, you know that what? Feel healthy, even though but it yeah. sounds selfish. It, that yes. feels like the only way to get through it. Is- well, the things I miss are not the things that would have been a yeah. public display, right? So the things I missed were being in the basement you know, uh, holding her hands and letting her say the prayer that she wanted to say in front of everyone, but privately. The things I miss are us looking into each other's eyes and her holding my hands and just saying, I love you and I'm so proud of you. That's what I miss. Did anybody hold your hand that day and tell you they're proud of you? Yeah, my best friend, like Christy, and like my one of my other best friends, Christina, like they, you know, and yes, but it's not the same unless it's your mother. And because I knew I was losing her, I was really hoping for that last moment yeah it's so heightened tv totally. movies this mythology of our mom at this thing or we're supposed to even be married we're supposed to wear white we're supposed to all of this it's stuff. the private moments i miss not yeah, the public not the public okay. yeah a hundred percent and then hmm. you know i think when i look back and i look at my wedding album i i just want to see her like i want to see a bad picture where she's literally you just see her in the back now i wish I could just Photoshop her in. You could. Good. You could. I'll call Joe Maza. Uh, I could just <laughs> Photoshop her in, literally in the background, as if she was walking away. Or if she was having, I just want to see her in a conversation with somebody in at the reception, right? I just want to see her sitting at the table. You know, there were there were empty place cards. Mm. You know, if you looked at my family table, there were empty seats. Because we didn't know until the very end. And you just left them. I just left them. Do you look for her sometimes? Yeah. You look in the photos, you go, maybe oh, yeah. this photo, I'll see her. Yeah. Of course. And then we did have a wonderful wedding. I was able to let myself go for that day and have fun because I knew she wasn't going to die that day. And Why? How did you know that? I didn't, but for the most part. It sounds good to say. Yeah. Or I was like, yeah, right. There, or if she did, they weren't going to call me till tomorrow. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I guess I felt like she's still going to be dying tomorrow and you only get one wedding and she didn't allow me to push it or pull it. So let's uh, let's have this day that we planned and worked really hard for, you know. It sounds cliche. It sounds cliche to say my mom wouldn't want this like to be canceled. As she literally told you, don't move it. I want you to have yep. a good time. I don't visit me because I'm not looking good or feeling good. Well, she wouldn't have said that. She maybe. wouldn't have said that. But, think, but thinking <laughs> yeah, that so, and her like, so. just go have fun. Mm-hmm. It does seem like a cliche. My mom just wants me to enjoy myself. And yet it feels like a, a thing you're telling yourself to give yourself permission to compartmentalize. Well, I had to say whether she agrees or not, this is what I need to do. You know, as a good girl who doesn't want to go against their mom, I think I got sucked into some unhealthy behavior with my mom because she definitely wanted to be my best friend, right? She was jealous of some of my other friends. Like, there never, their time was never enough, right? I think maybe that's an only child thing. I'm not you sure. You were maid of honor twice. I was a maid of honor. Oh, my God. Did you think about her being your maid of honor? Uh, not now in this time of her life, but I meant, was there ever a part of you that no. was like, she needs to be mine? No, like reciprocity? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> not. Never crossed my mind to you saying it right now. Not one bit. <laughs> Good. Hey, I, I, I don't know. Not one iota. I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's No, intense. absolutely not. I think I texted you this, that I struggle now with like, I'm trying to pick a photographer or I'm trying to look at vendors and there's all this language about, I'll be there for you for that first shot with your with your husband and ready to take that photo with your mom. And I literally want to email these photographers and say, hey, you know, check out my podcast. No, but literally say, 
I'm not upset. I'm not trying to be mean or, you know, I'd figure out how to say it. But here's some advice. (laughs) Some of this language is really triggering, right? Mm -hmm. And I love your shots. You know, I love what your your style. I'm just never going to hire you because this whole paragraph, right? It's hard. You're not being inclusive. And again, not being inclusive. And of course, no one's trying to hurt anybody's feelings. That's not why people, people send Mother's Day emails that you can now opt out of corporations, which is smart asking you for that option. Yeah. But everybody throws around, right? We get it. It's our jobs. It's for me moving around the earth as a motherless child now to to be able to maneuver through it. But in this heightened time of your wedding, yeah. it feels like this mom's mom. And I go to weddings. I just was at a wedding and the, the mom's there and everybody's, oh, she's so beautiful. And let's get photos of the mom. And Dana, have you met the mom? And I'm like, she's beautiful. Like, yeah. can't wait to meet your mom. And um, and I love moms. I built a whole, I'm building a whole business around moms. I really do love moms. And yet I'm just like, must be nice at this wedding. I will. Must I, be nice for the photographer to get those shots. Before, you know? I mean, I didn't notice any of that language on websites or whatever, but I, we did have meetings with our vendors before and we let them know so that they would be sensitive. You did. So we met with the DJ and we told her what the situation was i said it's going to go one of two ways right she's going to be there and she's going to be in a wheelchair and she's going to be there really quickly you know probably just for the ceremony is what we thought or very quickly after she'll need to rest and this is i said this is how i'm feeling about it and this is what's hard about this wedding and then we talked to our photographer who's a theater guy joe maza and we said what was going on he was so sensitive yeah he he was amazing because he had to send pictures of everyone that we like all of our family, and he freaking memorized who was who. So he walked up to my sister-in-law and said, oh, Shannon, you know, you're wow. right, Blake's sister-in-law, right? I mean, it was kind of insane. Like, oh, you're Lauren's dad. Like, I mean, it was wild. I think the other thing is, like, I wanted both my parents to walk me down the aisle, and that felt like a really, like, feminist and important thing. Hmm. And so having— Together, yes, you wanted them. I would have, yeah. So having to just choose— or having to just go with my dad felt like kind of antiquated. And I was like, I'm I, I'm more feminist than that. This is wrong. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, and I don't want my dad to give me away and he can verbally do it, but he's not going to walk me down right. the nursing home patio. There's no aisle. It wouldn't be an aisle. We'd make it up with like chairs. Yeah, I don't want that. But I do want my mom. I want my mom to be mentioned in the speech, but I also can't make the whole night. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, totally. And you you don't want to, she wouldn't want, well, she would kind of want it. Yeah, so mom would do it. Yeah, give me a little energy, give me a little focus, give me a little spotlight. No, we have an amazing photographer coming in from Nashville and, and she's already, I already love her. And she's been like totally into wanting to honor my mom through photography, but not make it modeling, not make it nostalgic, but give it this, she gets it mm-hmm. and gets the whole moment between my grandma seeing me for the first time, which totally. is going to be, oh my God, oh right? my God. Can you I had the same relationship with my, or very similar, obviously, relationship to my grandmother as you do with yours. Mm. And she didn't live quite as long, but she was yeah. like a second mother to me. And I, but I think you have such an interesting story in that you've lost your mom, but still have your grandmother. Like that is an interesting. Yeah. And I asked her recently, I said, I, th- I think I shared it on Instagram. Like I said, what, do you have any advice for me? I looked at my grandma and I said, you know, do you have any advice for me as I get ready to get married? You know, and she looked right at me and said, no, because you're you're old enough. Like, you're grown. You know what you you're know? doing. You know what you're doing. And I thought, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? You got nothing. You have nothing about, you know, love and commitment and but... owning a house and respect and laughing together and listening to each other. And she just was like, no, you you're you're grown, you know, 
And then later emailed me and said, because my grandma still emails. That's right. Oh, that's 90, amazing. 95. She can't open attachments. That's a that's that's difficult. I don't like opening attachments either. <laughs> Same. But she goes, I'm so sorry I didn't answer your question. You oh. know, I'm still thinking about it. Oh. So maybe on the day she'll oh, turn to me and say, offer you something. it's all about <laughs> dinner. I don't know what her advice yeah. would be. Like, don't let him cookie broccoli. I don't know what it's going to be. But she said, I'm going to keep thinking. <laughs> And I said to her, and I, I've asked her, like, tell me about my mom on her wedding day. And she said, oh, she wasn't difficult. She was not a diva. She kind of described a little of that, you know, saying nice. your mom was great. She was, there was no drama. And I was like, okay. I just think, like, honoring your mom kind of in the moments before. Okay. Might be, might that, feel. Yeah. That would what, be my I need advice. your advice. I need your. I, that would be my advice. It's like, there's a moment of communion with her, maybe just thinking about her or maybe looking at her pictures of her on her wedding day. I think that's, you're jumping into the future, really. The choices you make are very, it is very optimistic to get married. Hmm. And speaking as someone who, you know, in time, very times in my life, I've been quite a, a realist or a, maybe even a cynic. And so having, well, having a baby is the ultimate in optimism, but getting married is the same, right? And allow yourself to take a step forward. You know, unfortunately, like though she's with you in spirit, she is part of your past, right? And yeah, don't let it be about her. This is about you and Jonathan, right? And she's already, you're her daughter. That's the other thing I thought on my wedding day. Everything, you know, so much about me is her. So she's still here. Yeah. You know, she's here. She's walking around. She's, she's here. Yeah. Her DNA I, is all bleeding. Yeah. And clearly now you're becoming, you, like you said, you're becoming her and you're. Well, I, I don't know. I would well, like pause before you say becoming Okay, you're right. Sorry. Her. Sorry. You're because um, there are more wow. similar. Whoa. There are more similarities now. Yes, that I wish I could ask her about, I guess, right? Yeah. I wish I could ask her about what it's like to have a full-time job and a little kid, you know? I wish I could talk to her about, yeah, just that early family life. Also, I would love to just say thanks because I know she was a single mom when I was, you know, the age my kid is now. And it's really mm -hmm. hard, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I love it. It is it is a hundred times harder than I thought it was going to be. And she did it with no. And she did it with her mother, essentially, I right. guess, in the beginning, but really on her own. And I would love to sort of say, oh, I recognize how hard that must have been. And I am so grateful for what a like a loving and like tactile and effusive mother you were. Like I'm really grateful for that. Do you say that to her in the dark of night sometimes? Yeah, sure. I say stuff in my bed. I say stuff walking. I say stuff in the shower. I just need to say it, and I'm saying it to myself. Some of the things, some of the forgiveness, I'm saying to myself, and how I forgive you and this and that. But I, I talk to her out loud. I don't know if that helps you. I don't do it like in front of other people, like, right. but I try to do it privately. It'd be weird if I just did it on like the CTA train, but. Well, now I'm at a place of like, how do I honor her with my kid? Right? Sure. So like. Yeah. Through your you son. Know, yeah. I mean, to finish the like excruciating part of the story, she died two weeks after the wedding in this hospice in Illinois and her husband. You didn't have a honeymoon, right? You did not have anything planned, or you? We did have a plan for six months later. Oh, okay, okay. So because of, I couldn't remember, you know, because we knew. Well, I think in general we would have, because weddings are expensive. So we were like, mm, yeah, okay. we don't have one. We are like, we'll go someday. Even yeah. though we're not having a huge wedding, we're still like. But you're we also moving. We have to like, move and buy a house and all this. So it's like we'll go to Europe later someday in our lives, total, and make out there. So we were with her, you know, Blake and I, that was the first two weeks of our marriage is like watching her slip away, right? And her husband, you know, 
in hindsight, he stayed the whole time. We got him to leave the weekend before she died, which was to take a break because he had been away from his home for almost a month. And, you know, and he needed to go handle some things. And he, you know, and, and the doctors thought it would be a little bit longer. But she took quite a turn that weekend. But I got to spend the last weekend with her alone. And I appreciate that. I'm so grateful for that. So anyway, she passed away two weeks after. And then, you know, her husband, I, this is my belief. And there's, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could prove it in court of law, but I just think he'd already made plans in his mind for his after life, right? His after her passing. And he, you know, eight months to the day she died, married uh, a friend from high school, moved back here to Illinois, made it very difficult for me to obtain her things, was very like cagey about, you know, all the business dealings around her, I felt made her memorial service so much about him. It was really challenging. There was a lot of really challenging things around that. But I also sort of never had the big blow up with him, you know? I think I said to him, I just no longer trust you, and then just cut off communication after her service, memorial service. And then I felt like he just didn't do me right in her inheritance, like in my inheritance right, and all that. Right. And I just felt like he could have handled it a different way. And she had given me, like, some of the jewelry things way before she died, because I think she knew, you know. We we had we had, had a conversation, because she changed her trust after she was terminal, which is very—there's there, something very suspect about that. And I remember saying to her, I was like, I don't need you to leave me anything. I really don't. I love you. But if you think that this person that you're married to is going to take care of me and going to do right by me and by you, I think you're mistaken. Mm. What did she say to that? She said, I think you're right. I'm sorry, but it's too late. You know? Yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. So all that to say, the the thing I think I've learned almost five years out is that the end of her life was the hardest and most painful thing to get over. And now at almost five years, I'm finally getting back to the joy, the love, the memories that have nothing to do with this other, this last husband that have to do with family, that have to do with er that are the relationship solely between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder though, how to present her to my son. And like, and how to keep that alive. There's a photo and he can see that's, you know, he's two. He can see that's mommy's mommy, mm -hmm. right? And I, but how can I, you know, we live here in Illinois, like we've lived close to my in-laws, you know, how do we keep that alive? And just recently, my mother-in-law passed a month ago and, you know, he, he got to know her for the first two years of his yeah. life. And yeah. I'm watching my partner go through this and. Which is hard. Oh, so hard. It's so hard. I knew once my mom died, though, that I would be better equipped to be, you know, to help him through this time. So, and I hope that's true. I hope he thinks that's true as well. But we also are, like, trying to keep, you know, how do we keep his mom's memory alive for our child? You know, he's an atheist and I am agnostic. And how do we present? The only thing that I've come up with so far is that I, I want to be honest with Bodhi and say, you know, Grammy's body stopped working and she died. And now she's up in the stars watching over us. You know, that's like, I don't want to use the terminology of heaven, but I do. He loves the moon and he mm. loves the stars. And it's something that he's, you know, at this point in his life is really interested in. And it's a concept he seems to be able to grasp. Yeah. What you know? if the moon is Blake's, your husband's mom, and the stars are 
your mom. Yeah, maybe. Like, right? I have a friend who is in the same situation, but her kids are, she's farther along in the path. And she said, definitely her kid, her three-year-old was like one day, or maybe he was two and a half, said to her like, oh, wait, did you have a mom? Mm. Right? Like it occurred to him, he'd never, hmm. Oh, what about yours? Right. And she was able to kind of introduce the conversation. Yeah. So maybe that will be the case for us. But is it, I mean, is it, how do you, how do we keep them alive? Is it through stories, photos? Every Sunday is a story about grandma. I don't know. Or is it literally, right? How, because you just said your mom is here because she's in you. She's moving through the world. You're raising an only child as an educator. She was an educator and mm-hmm. she raised an only child. Or you make good choices in your life in terms of men you love. And maybe it's like rewriting the wrongs, but coming back to the, you know, the core of who your mom was with you. Like, Well, I think the blessing in so many ways. Is it just how you move? Is it you just... She just set a good example, and then that, and that's how you keep her alive. But, but I want him to know specifics. I know, too, you know, right, right. Thing. And I think I was maybe I don't know if I was even bummed. I think maybe in some respects I was very relieved to have a son and not a daughter because, you know, that the mother daughter relationship is so challenging, and maybe we it was okay to end the martyrdom. You know, there yeah. was, I come from a long line of martyrs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think maybe it was good to sort of break that chain a little bit. But I want him to know details about her. I don't want to participate in cultural appropriation, but I do love the concept of Day of the Dead. I think that is mm-hmm. like a lovely way of, and maybe that will be on her. We should do that on her birthday, like every January twelfth. We should do altars. Things. I've been I've been getting into altars as well. I and think that's really cool. Yeah, same, like making you can put anything on it. There's no rules. Yeah, I mean there are there are depending on your religion and like there are rules right. about it, but it can be anything. It can be right now. To Lauren's left in this room. There's pictures of her mom and this baby book from her her son's baby book, right? Or a, it's just a favorite. Yeah, it's a fa- one of his favorites about and a mother who loves their child no matter what. Mommy, what if I become, you know, a monster? Oh, I will, you know, bring you hamburgers to eat, right? Or what if I become an alien? Oh, I'll, you know, who wants to eat bugs instead of peanut butter? Oh, great. I'll pack your lunch with bugs instead of peanut butter, right? I mean, it's just, it's just about this mom who's, I'm going to love you no matter what, right? And that's... Yeah. I think my mom did project that a lot. There were things that she made difficult for me. I don't, you know, I, I don't think she ever was quite supportive of me as an actor, right, or as a performer. I don't think she could see me perform and feel the joy that I hope to feel when I see my kid, you know, fart on stage and then I'm weeping. You know, I want that. I hope to be that kind of mom. I think it, it just was all coming from a place of fear. Yeah. And a little bit of a place of jealousy with her because I was brave. The difference in our personalities, I think, was my mom liked living in a small town where she'd go to the grocery store and run into every freaking person she's ever met and have these wonderful conversations. That's a nightmare. I, I would panic. I saw you in the grocery store and I had a, like, <laughs> oh, my and God. That's my dream. I'm literally like, how do I get to a small town? How do I get out of Chicago so I can be the mayor of this town? Oh, my God. You're know everyone there. That's hilarious. But then within, well, I say this, but then within a month, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I cannot be anonymous here. They're going to know all my business. Right. <laughs> But I would want to be on stage where people are watching yeah. me and then the I— The attention of— uh, Well, I love that. And you love that rush. That, that relationship between the audience, but but yeah. in this, but in a professional capacity, And right? then you leave. Yeah, and leave. Then, we don't have to talk. Yeah. that's I just slip outside door. <laughs> and I, and I want to go to the lobby. Oh, you're so funny. Yeah. I want to hug people. I want to— I want to do that really fast. <laughs> they walk out the door. I want to thank them because I don't want to be—I don't want to have, like, ingratitude or whatever. Right, but, right, right. But I also don't want to have to stand there while they have to say something. About it. Yeah, I and wanna... she might have been jealous of that because 
of why? Well, I think she was jealous of my courage, right? Like, I think. Oh, courage. Sure. I think to do to put myself in that position, being brave, you but said also that. scared of my, you know, would I fail and would I, you know, thinking about your child going through that, I think is a lot. I, I think I have a little bit more understanding, but you know, there were times. Definitely, I was in a show you know, in grad school that she came to see. And I remember thinking like after my good amount of therapy, you know, talking with her after the show and she'd go, oh, your friend Derek was so good, which was her whole jam. Mm -hmm. You know, if we were in a show, she'd be like, your friend Dana. Oh, she was excellent. And I said, mom, I think this is the opportunity where you could tell me that I was also good, that I was also good. And, you know, she said, she, oh, it was a really hard part. <gasps> yeah. A really hard part. You had a lot of lines to learn. Yeah, a lot of lines. So it was like, that was the best I could get. But then I did a, a one-woman show that she thought was hilarious, right? Teresa Rebeck. It was like her jam, you know? And that she was most proud of that, mm. I think, which was mm -hmm. maybe even the last thing she saw. So that's... But it makes sense that the, different. The, to being ca cautious or nervous. She was jealous of your bravery, but also nervous for your success. Like, nervous knowing, like, you're so good, but the world is, is hard. And this yes, industry yeah. is hard. Yes. You know what's coming, right? What? What? You ready? What? I think I'm still going to do it. What are you going to do? I think I'm still going to ask you to tell me your mom's name. Oh, yes. I, oh, I, oh, gosh. I didn't Ooh. even think of that. I didn't either until right now. I said, am I going to keep doing this beautiful oh, yes. question? And I think I should. A hundred percent. I think that it is the thing I am, you know, some in some ways so sad to lose, right? I think when you... When your mom has passed on, people don't ask because they don't want to stir something up in you. But the saddest part is not being asked. And then when you lose people, you you know you don't ever get to say their name anymore, right? No one ever, no one really asks her her name. They might ask about her, right? And does it matter? Then you go, oh well, does it really matter? I mean, you, you could look up her name online or like or whatever if you really care. But it does matter. Put a Joe to that face. Yeah. It matters. So tell me your mom's name. And how you're feeling about her all in this her moment. <laughs> yes, all her names. In this moment, on this circular rug, in Evanston, sitting across from me in real time. Oh, my God. I, with I, pictures of your mom uh, and, your, and your oracle cards to your right. How do you feel about her today? I miss her so much. I feel forgiveness. I feel gratitude. I feel... Um, I miss any phone call with any mundane details on a Tuesday, right? I mean, that's, I think, at the end of the day, your mom, not for everyone, but I feel so grateful to have a mom who was, you know, my biggest champion, even if with caveats and even with some complications. My mom used to send me a valentine when I was single every year, and I really looked forward to it because she wanted me to feel special and wanted me to know that it's about was about love and not about romantic partnerships. And, you know, and I really appreciated that. And her name was, all her names, Anne Byer Houston Pizzi Comfort. Comfort. That was the last one. Comfort. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. Comfort. <laughs> yeah. On that note, that is comfort. Thank you for sharing. I wish you, you can get that tissue. Okay. You can do it in real time. I don't Let's hear make it. it. <laughs> Let's hear it. Blow it. Blow it. There we go. You hear that? Are we getting this ASMR? Are we getting this ASMR? <laughs>
When we were working on this episode, I told my editor, when in doubt, always go out on laughter because tissue nose blowing ASMR always wins. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for talking to me on and off the mic. You are a good friend. Thank you for your wisdom, your heart, your humor, your guidance. It's so appreciated. Thank you, friend. So I did it. I did it. I said, yes, I got married. Yep. On the patio of my Nana's nursing home on a beautiful Saturday in June, this past June. We had incredible weather. We stood under a pretty tree in front of eight of our immediate family as the entire nursing home cafeteria of residents and the staff watched on. And I heard later that many of the residents loved seeing it and that they only wished that they could have heard the vows too. So I guess we should have streamed it, you know, for the inside crowd. We had pastries. We had a champagne toast afterwards on the patio. And my Nana was all smiles. She wore a new shirt from Black and White Market that had butterflies on it. She borrowed earrings from my friend Isabel. And my grandma got a plus one. Her best friend Joni came. She specifically loved my purse, my grandma. And I had to remind her that it was originally hers. It was a cream-colored beaded box, a handheld purse from the 60s. I pointed out the gold comb in my hair, and I told her that it was mom's. We smiled at each other, an unspoken moment. Jonathan and I then took photos after the ceremony in this grassy middle area with trees. It's between the independent living area of this facility, where my Nana has lived for over 20 years, and the nursing home part, where she is now. This facility, this plot of land, I have visited so much in my life. I've come here with my mom, I've come here with my dad, boyfriends, friends. It's a part of me. And we were running a bit behind schedule after the ceremony, so we had to get to the city for this big reception with friends. But I knew I wanted at least a few more of those glamour Vogue shots, you know, the ones where the wind is blowing and I'm looking back at the camera as we walk away in the grass. And no one would ever know this isn't a beautiful field on a farm. But it's not where I thought some of my favorite wedding photos would be taken. I also never thought I would get married. But there we were, off Manchester Road in Wheaton, Illinois, posing in the grass next to my 95-year-old Nana's nursing home patio. And it all felt right. I remember when we decided to have the ceremony be small and at my Nana's place. My dad made sure to ask us, are you doing this for your Nana or for you? And the answer was both. I knew I needed the ceremony to be about Jonathan and I for us to keep it small and just focus on each other. But I also knew I needed my Nana to be a witness. Oh, and that photo that I said I was going to have the photographer take of me holding a photo of my mom as I got ready in the hotel room. I never brought a photo of my mom with me that weekend. Maybe subconsciously in all the chaos and the packing and getting ready for the big day, I forgot. But I think I knew. And I think she knew that this wasn't her day. But that morning, before all the chaos began, at 8 a.m., alone in my hotel room, waiting for my groom to return with a coffee and a croissant, I walked out on the balcony in my robe, I love a good robe, took a deep breath, and told my mom I loved her, out loud. I then asked her to give me strength and asked her to help me stay present and take it all in. I then pulled an oracle card by Sarah Greenman. Shout out. I love oracle cards. They're so fun and pretty to look at. Because sometimes you got to get witchy, you know what I mean? Even on your wedding day. And the card was called Nest. The card said that home need not be a physical place or the location where you currently live. It may be a childhood home or a mountain or simply an idea of a place that dwells within us. 
This card is calling us to seek the comfort and safety of that home. It's time to turn in and go hearthside. In the early morning light of my wedding day, alone, I turned to her, my only mother. It felt intimate and private. It was just for us. And then I turned towards my new husband and all the people waiting to celebrate with us. And I also ate a really good croissant. The second season of I Swear in My Mother's Grave podcast would never be possible without our editor, Amanda Roscoe Mayo, our music composer, Adam Ollendorf, our graphic designer and illustrator, Meredith Montgomery, and our copywriter, Rachel Claff. Thanks as well to Tony Howell and Austin Heller for all their work on the website and to Heather Bodie for her emotional, spiritual, social, and physical, well, for, for all the help. Thank you. And to all of you, thank you for listening, subscribing, reaching out, and just being a part of this community. I'm so grateful you're here. And if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, you can do so at our website, which is danablack.org. You can hear all about this incredible season and some upcoming live events we're curating just for you. I hope you'll come back. Come back, come back. Don't leave me like my dead mom. You know what I mean? Come back. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.